Welcome to another inspirational message from Chowdean Community Church, Gateshead. For more information about Chowdean, visit www.chowdean.org.uk. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Well, good morning. How are you all this morning? Anybody who can say that they're um, well organized for Christmas? Anybody? Oh, yeah, there's always some who are really well organized. I'm very well organized. I've got everything in place. No, I haven't. I haven't really. Uh, it's good to be with you this morning, and we start this first series. Uh, uh, a couple of weeks in Advent. Uh, this week I'm speaking, next week Seth's speaking. And uh, today I just want to talk about the prophecies that led up to Advent. The, 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 the things that, uh, not all of them, apparently there are 700 people have identified prophecies in the Old Testament. I'm not going to talk about all them today, just a few of them and remind us about Advent. I don't know about you, but um, does anybody keep feeling every time it gets to Christmas, you suddenly feel older? Yeah? For me, it's because it comes around that quick. Uh, last week, I went up into the loft of the roof of my garage to get the Christmas boxes down, and I thought, Do you know, it only seems like two weeks, and I put these up in the loft, and they're down already. Does anybody else feel like that? It just, you know, we seem to pack the Christmas stuff away, then it's time to get it out again. I definitely think it's a sign of old age, but there we go. So what does Christmas mean to you? It comes around every year, obviously. Um, What does it mean to you? What does it mean to the kids? Well, to the kids it means presents and having a good time and having lots to eat and Santa Claus. So just before I get to the prophecies, I want to digress a little bit and just talk about St. Nicholas. Now, St. Nicholas is attributed to to being the the founder or the idea behind Father Christmas. And why is that? Well, the famous story tells how the custom of hanging up stockings to put presents in first got started. And it goes like this. There was a poor man who had three daughters. The man was so poor, he did not have enough money for a dowry. So his daughters couldn't get married. Now, just of those who don't know what a dowry is, I think it would be a good thing to introduce them again. Um, a dowry is a sum of money paid to the, to the bridegroom by the bride's parents on the wedding day. Maybe I don't think it would be a good idea to introduce it again. <laughs> this still happens in some countries even today. One night, Nicholas secretly dropped a bag of gold down the chimney and into the house. This meant that the oldest daughter was then able to be married. The bag fell into a stocking, by coincidence, that had been hung by the fire to dry. This was repeated later for the second daughter. Finally, determined to discover the person who had given him the money, the father secretly hid by the fire every evening until he caught Nicholas dropping in a bag of gold. Nicholas begged the man not to tell anyone what he'd done, because he did not want to bring attention to himself. But soon the news got out, and when everyone received a secret gift, it was thought that it might be from Nicholas. Now, that story is a one, why am I telling you it? Uh, 
it's not a biblical story, but it's a story that's been written down after the event. So the story of Nicholas was written down, and who knows how it was changed or how it was elaborated on or whether it was the facts were right. But that's a story we now have written down in folklore. But this morning I want to talk about prophecy. Now prophecy is something entirely different. Prophecy is something that's written down before it happened. Before it happened. Which makes it even more remarkable, doesn't it? Because it's easy to write about something that's happened yesterday. Yesterday, Susan and I and Susan's mum went down to Bethany Church at Horton. And one of our celebrities in the congregation was singing. And it was amazing. The whole thing was done by older people, shall we say. Uh, but the whole thing was, an, uh, it was Bethany's presentation of nati- the nativity. And it was really good. And Derek shone like for us, representing us. He should have had Chowdean up there. I am a member of Chowdean. That would have been good, Derek. But we could write that down and say, yesterday was a great day. This happened, this happened, that happened. But prophecies, as I said, tell of what's going to happen in the future. And in some ways, as I said, there were seven people have identified 700 prophecies. Now, some of them you have to really be a good Bible student to understand and to, to get where they see the link. But some of them are so straightforward and, all, and, and, and under, you can understand what they mean. I came across a story of a man who was a qualified uh, meteorologist, meteorologist, which means a weatherman. And, um, and he, the fact he became, sorry, for some reason he did a terrible job when it came to actually forecasting the weather. In fact, he became quite a local joke when a newspaper began keeping a record of all his faulty predictions. They did a feature story showing he'd, wrong, he'd been wrong almost 300 times in a single year. Thanks to all this bad press, the poor guy was fired. And after living unemployed for a few months, he moved to another part of the country and he applied for a job as a weather forecaster at another station. The job asked him to state the reason for leaving his previous position. And what do you think he might have said for leaving his previous... He said, well, he said... He said what? I'm leaving to go somewhere else. No, he said, this is what he wrote. He went, the climate didn't agree with me. (laughs) (laughs) So hopefully where he was moving to, the climate was better (laughs) for him. Predicting the weather can be a very difficult thing. We could say the same things when it comes to predicting things like how our kids will turn out. What will be the outcome of Brexit? Who can tell? What your wife wants for Christmas? That's a hard one, isn't it? (laughs) A noted physicist once commented on, on this frustrating principle. He said, prediction is a very difficult art, especially when it involves the future. So I want to look very briefly at the predictions around the advent of Jesus. We read the text. When we read the text, we we begin to grasp the significance of 
these predictions. Most of them were written hundreds of years ago, some even thousands of years ago, before Jesus was born. And you know what? He fulfilled all of them. He fulfilled all of them. Now, for me as a young Christian who was looking into the Bible and trying to understand what it was all about, I found it incredibly reassuring to find that people made predictions all those years ago and they came about and are coming about and some still have to come about. Those predictions made a difference for me and reassured my faith in who, uh, in who God is and what's going on. This can give us conf- confidence about the future when we know that the predictions that were made were fulfilled. Now, the first prophecy, it might surprise you, is right back in Genesis. How can we believe that right back in Genesis, God will have words written that predicted the coming of Jesus? So we read these words in Genesis chapter 3. And we read, have I got them up there? Genesis chapter 3, yeah. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Now, that might seem a bit strange, but what you have to think about, this word was given to the serpent. So God spoke to the serpent, and he said, I will bruise your head. The serpent was the representative of, Jesus, of Satan, and he said, I will bruise your head, and you shall bruise him in the heel. He will be a bruise on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. So already God was saying something's going to happen that will affect Satan, that will affect the world in the future. And then in Jeremiah and Isaiah we find two prophecies where it says the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up from David's line a righteous branch a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord, our righteous Savior. And Isaiah, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Now, that might seem, what's that all about? A a shoot will come up from the roots of Jesse. Well, when we read in, 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 in um, Mark's Gospel, when Mark gives us the, the, um, the background, the hierarchy of where Jesus came from, we shouldn't be surprised to find that when we get to the point where David was, there was something changed. And this is what the, that Scripture is referring to. It says, from the root of Jesse. Well, Jesse, as we know, was David's father, and we remember the story where the prophet went along and said, who do we going to choose to be a king? And we ended up with David, the youngest of Jesse's sons, being chosen to be king. And so the Bible there is referring in Isaiah way back there to that point where it wasn't the, the hierarchy of, of uh, Saul, because Jonathan died. It wasn't the hierarchy of Saul. It was David's son, Nathan, who became the lineage of Jesus. And so the the prophecy there is amazing because it was saying, look, the the hierarchy isn't going to come out of the kings, 
of Saul and the previous kings who were all up and down, some were good and some were bad, the hierarchy is going to come out of David, out of the house of David, out of Nathan. And, and funny enough, there's not a lot in the Bible about Nathan. You'd think there'd be a lot there about who he was, but the hierarchy comes there. So that prophecy that was made that Jesus would come from the, the house of David was written there. And, and I love the terminology there. It says that it will come from the root. It won't come from a stem that grows out of the tree. It will come from a dead tree and the root will grow. Now, in my garden last, uh, last year, as you know, most of you know, I'm building a house in the garden. We had to have this big tree cut down. And um, the, the guy came in, cut the tree, and he pulled a great big clump of roots out, and we got rid of them. But then I didn't cut the grass for a while because the builder had these wagons and things on. And all these shoots started coming up from this cherry tree. It was good. If I'd left them, it would have been a little forest of cherry trees. And because the tree had been cut down, the root produced these new growth and these new shoots. And that's what it's referring to there, where the growth came from a new root, from a uh, new, new roots came from an old shoot there. So the, the prophecy was fulfilled. And when, in Luke's gospel, it says the genealogy of Jesus, and uh, it's traced right back to David. And then in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 to 7, it says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So there's some sort of what we call messianic prophecies there. But then there are some more specific ones that you might be able to relate to easier. Like in Micah 5, 1 to 2, it says, But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans or rulers of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Now, Bethlehem was a little insignificant place. No kings had ever been born there before. But God appointed that, that from Bethlehem. And God foretold it through his word that that's what would happen in Bethlehem. Isn't that amazing that God could tell right back in the book of Micah, I'm not sure what year Micah was written, but it was a long time before Jesus, that the Bethlehem would be the place where the Savior would be born. Then in Isaiah 7.14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And we know the stories, don't we? We've seen them enacted so many times. We saw it enacted yesterday where the angel, who happened to be the church pastor, but he didn't have any uh, halo or wings, but he, uh, the, the angel announced to Mary that Mary would give birth to a child. And she said, how can that be? How can that be? You know, I'm a, I'm a virgin. How can that be? And God said, it will be. And then Joseph had to have the angel appear to him as well because he needed reassurance of what was going on. And, and sure enough, that's what happened in the story. And Jeremiah 31 verse 15 
This is what the Lord says. A voice is heard in Ramah, mourning and great weeping. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because there were no more. Now you might think, what's that got to do with prophecy? Well, it's about when Herod ordered all the children under the age of two to be killed because he wanted to get rid of Jesus. And so he thought he'd do that by killing all the children under two. And so in, in, in the literature, we have this symbol of the mother's weeping. And Rachel is a symbol of the mother weeping over the children. Rachel's weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted. And that was a prophecy in Jeremiah. And it came about in the time of Jesus. Another prophecy. Isn't that amazing? More prophecies and more prophecies. Now, the Advent can be a little bit confusing, I must admit. And when I was reading some of those earlier scriptures, I was thinking to myself, how does that actually fit in with the birth of Jesus? Because it said there that he would be the mighty God, the everlasting king, seated on a throne. Well, we haven't seen that happen yet, have we? And this is where we've got to be careful with a lot of the prophecies because some of them refer to the second coming. And it's hard to differentiate between the two. There's the first coming, which we remember at Christmas. Then there's the second coming, which is yet, obviously, as the name suggests, yet to come. Uh, The Jews haven't recognized the first coming, but they're looking for the second coming, which for them, funny enough, will be the first coming if they understand that way. And so we have to look at those prophecies out of the 700 or so prophecies. Some of them are referring to the second coming. But where does that leave us? Does it leave us confused? What does it leave us thinking about? We can be confused because Christmas comes out. Are we thinking about when Jesus comes? Are we celebrating him coming again? Well, in that case, he comes every year. No. Are we celebrating... Christmas, um, because we remember that he's going to come again, as we do when we have bread and we take bread and wine together. We use that as an opportunity to think about Jesus said he would come again. Or are we just caught up in the whole realm of Christmas where shops tell us, you know, you've only got how many shopping days left to Christmas? I don't know how many we've got left. Not very many now uh, left to Christmas. Uh, but they tell us that in October, don't they? You've got how many days left? hundred and something days to shop in Christmas. What do we, what do we use? What are you internalizing Christmas as being about? When we get to Christmas, are we just thinking, well, this is a great time to get together with our family, and it is. It's a great opportunity for us to spend time with our family. Sometimes it's great to have them for a while and then it's nice when they go. But it's great to have time with our family and our grandchildren and our children and and, and our friends and relatives. It's great to have time like that. But what does it leave with you at the end? What do we we learn from the Scriptures? Well, for me, I, I think after this morning, after preparing for today, what I've learned is that we live in this time span And it's a time span. We don't know how long it is. We don't know whether Jesus will come back again in this time span. I don't know in my lifetime whether Jesus will come back again. But sorry, I contradicted myself there. We do know that he will come back at some point. We do know that if the fulfillment of the Scriptures took place at Christmas the first time round, 
the fulfillment of the Scriptures are going to come place at the second coming. When that is, the Scripture says, no man knows the time nor the hour when that will happen. But we're all told to watch, to watch and to wait for that time. So Christmas is a time of excitement. It's a time of getting together. But it's also a time of reminding us that we've got to watch and wait, that Jesus is coming back again. And do you know when he comes back again, as, as, as the Revelation Scripture says, the prophecy in Revelation says, when he comes back again, there'll be times of rejoicing. There'll be times of great time. As, as Tim read out there, there'll be no more pain. There'll be no more anguish. There'll be a time of amazing rejoicing for us to be in heaven. So where does that leave us now? What does it leave you with? Well, for me, it just leaves me with, well, I want to read the Scripture more. I want to find out more of what He's got to say. We, in this time span, have gone on. I believe all the way through the Bible, there are themes. And one of the themes is the coming back of Jesus. And that we've talked a little bit about that today in a very quick way. The other theme for me is, and, and Jesus highlights this, is God's will and God's desire to be with His people, to be close to His people. We see that in Christmas where love came down at Christmas, we say, don't we? Love came down at Christmas. We see God's theme. God's theme right from the beginning at the garden was to be with His people. He wanted to be in the garden there. He could have created the garden and just let Adam and Eve wander around and enjoy it. But it says God was in the garden with them. And all the way through the Scriptures, it's another sermon, where, where God's desire to be with His people, He tabernacled with them, it says. He was desiring to be with them. And in the end, He sent Jesus that He might be amongst His people. Is Jesus with you today? Is He with you on a day-to-day basis? Is he, is he living with you? Are you living with Him? And are we watching and waiting for Him coming again? just want to leave that with you. Unto us a child is born. Is He more than a child? Is He a Savior? Is He a Lord? Is He the one who's going to come back again? And if we haven't already departed into heaven, take us to be with Him in that amazing place that will be heaven. Let's pray, shall we? Father, it's so easy for us to just fall into the routine of Christmas, to go through the motions, buying presents, ordering food, taking time off work, getting families together, well, Father, what's more important is that we go through the motion of spending time with you and realizing who you were and who you are and who you will be in the future when you come in glory and take us to your kingdom. I pray for each person here, Father, that no one will feel lonely, that no one will feel alone, that we'll be together as a fellowship, that we can encourage one another that we can share this special time of remembrance of the Lord Jesus coming. Bless each family represented here today. Make it a special time when we just know who you are and what you've done for us. Amen.
This is the end of this message. We hope you enjoyed it. If you want to find out more about our church, please visit www.chowdean.org.uk and please take a minute to rate our podcast on iTunes. 